Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Redeemer Church. Redeemer Church is located in Fate, Texas, and her mission is to share the gospel, shape disciples, and send missionaries into the surrounding communities and across the globe. We hope that this week's message will bring glory to God by building you up and results in you looking more and more like Jesus himself. Good morning. Welcome to the Easter season. Won't be long before we're back at Christmas. <laughs> but this morning, as I was beginning to study this passage, and Shannon and I discussed the direction I was going to go with it, it came to mind about a, a, an event that took place not too long ago, just a few weeks ago. I was my daughter and her four girls came to the house to help Judy plant some plants. And they weren't expecting me to be home because I was umpiring baseball games. And the baseball game can go from an hour and a half to three hours. But I was doing two, JV and a varsity. The games went quick. Came home, opened the door, came in, and my granddaughter, Sam, was standing there. She looks up and Gets this big grin on her, it's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and then she goes, Grandpa's here! And then all of a sudden you hear from all over the corner, different corners of the house, Grandpa, Grandpa, Grandpa! And boy, I loved it. <laughs> when Jesus started on his way into the city, as it's been pointed out, the crowds were screaming. And today I want to take a look back at the historical event event that was so significant that it's presented in all four Gospels. Some a little bit longer than others. But we call it Palm Sunday because it was on this day that as Jesus was entering the city, the, the people were putting the palms and their cloaks on the ground to allow him riding on that donkey to come across into the into the city. And so if you have your Bibles with you or your electronic devices, I'd like for you to turn to Matthew 21. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 11. And then we're going to flip over to Luke 19 and read a few verses there as well. Beginning in Matthew 21, 1, Now when, the, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mount, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put him on their, put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And then over to Luke chapter 19. Beginning in verse 36. It says, and as he rode along, they spread out their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he said, I tell you, if 
these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This morning, I don't want to focus on the prophecy. I don't want to focus on really on, on the person of Jesus, even though that's who this is all centrally about. What I want to look at are the people. I want to take a look at the people that were there in Jerusalem. And then I want to take a look at us today. And then I want to take a look at people who haven't allowed Jesus Christ to enter into their lives. So to begin with, we find that Jesus enters the city to this massive ovation. So why were the people in Jerusalem? Why were they there? What brought them there? What were they seeking? Well, the easy answer is, well, the Passover feast. We find in John 12, 12, it says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Well, this is feast, as we all know, is the Passover feast. And it was basically a remembrance of what took place in Egypt. When God told the Israelis through Moses to, to put the blood on the doorposts so that the, the angel of death would pass over them and save them for what was to come. And they remembered that, and that was brought into a feast that was passed down from generation to generation. But by the time we get to the New Testament, it's not quite the same. Oh, yes, the feast, the principles of the feast are still there, but it's more of like a spring festival. It's not the traditional, the, the solid remembrance of what was coming. This was a time of celebration for them. And from the New Testament, we find this, and before, and as they were beginning to get ready for this festival, we find that they would go out and repair the roads. They would go out and whitewash the tombs, remember that. They would whitewash the tombs so that there wouldn't be anyone accidentally getting defiled during Passover. Because the Jews, they couldn't, they couldn't be around death and bodies without having to go through the purification rituals. In their homes, they either had to go out and buy new pots to cook in, or they had to thoroughly scrub and clean the pots that were already there because they required... The requirement was for nothing to be undefiled. In fact, the father of the house, the husband of the house, the man of the house, he actually had to go through the house to ensure, look everywhere to make sure there was no leavened bread. No bread with yeast in the house to be found anywhere. And then, of course, there were the sacrifices. Some would bring their sacrifices to the city, some would purchase them there at the temple gates. But it was that they said that the historian says that there was probably one sacrifice per 10 or 12 people. And we also find out from John 12, 12 that the crowd was large. The normal size of the city of Jerusalem was 60 to 70,000 people that lived there constantly. Well, on this particular event, this Passover... The population grew to up over two and a half million people. All the hotels were occupied. All the stables that were being rented out were rented out. And people had to go all up and down the sides of the hills and, and with their tents. And it just the place was just packed. And that's what we find in Matthew 21.10. The King James Version says it best, and it says, when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? The word moved literally translated means shaken. It was an earthquake. That's how loud it was. The people were so enthralled, their shouts of Hosanna and just the praise and the worship of that one particular time. So, yes, it was the Passover that brought them. But we also said that those people who had been following Jesus, and so there's Jesus' ministry, all the people that he contacted, all the people he reached out to. You think of that during the course that you read through the Gospels, you find that Jesus spent time in 15 cities. 
And in those cities, he performed various miracles, beginning with the changing the water into wine, restoring sight to the blind, restoring hearing to those who were deaf, bringing healing to the lame so that they could walk, removing demons from the possessed, healing leopards, feeding the 5,000 with only five loaves and two fishes, and then feeding the 4,000 with only seven loaves and a few small fishes. And those two events are very important in, this, in the story because simply because those 5,000 were basically mostly a Jewish audience because it was presented in an area of, where the Jews were predominant. The 4,000 was presented in, to, in an area that was predominantly Gentile. So Jesus was not only presenting himself to the Jews, but he was also presenting himself to the Gentiles. And then, of course, there were those that he rose from the dead. There were three accounts. You have the widow's son, a funeral procession going through town, and Jesus stops them, and he brings this widow's son back to life in front of all of these people. And then you have the nobleman's son. Jesus is in Canaan. The nobleman's son was in Capernaum, and through time and distance, that son was brought back to life. And then, of course, there's Lazarus. Who can forget Lazarus? Jesus, you've only been here. You've only been here. He's been dead for four days. You roll that stone away, and there's not enough for breeze in the world to take away that smolder. But he said, Lazarus, come forth, and he did. And then, of course, there's one of the main reasons. Yes, the miracles and everything were there to help solidify the fact that Jesus claimed who he, he, who he really was, the Son of God. But he also said in Luke 19.10, he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. And on his way into Jerusalem for the last time, he runs into these lepers, ten lepers. And they asked to be healed, and Jesus said, Go to the temple so that the priest can show that, announce that you were cleansed, because that was it. If you were healed of leprosy, you had to go to the temple, and the priest had to declare you as healed or cleansed. And as the ten started walking away, one came back. He was a Samaritan, an outcast, somebody who wasn't accepted in the Jewish culture. He came back and said, thank you, and he believed. And then there was the blind man, on the outskirts of the city of Jericho. Jesus, Jesus, heal me, Jesus, Jesus. And the people were trying to shush him down, trying to keep him away so Jesus could keep moving. But Jesus stopped and went to him. He said, what do you want? Heal me. He said, your faith has made you heal, made you whole. He began to praise and worship God, and he believed. And then, of course, who can forget the wee little man? Zacchaeus, who fought to try to find, you know, try to find Jesus, try to see Jesus, and he couldn't, so he ran ahead of the mob, climbed up in the sycamore tree so he could sit down there, and then Jesus stopped. And you know what it says about the crowd? Because he said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And the crowd, what? They moaned. They said, oh, come on, Jesus. You can't do that. Because Zacchaeus, even though... He was an outcast to the Jews because he was working for the Romans to collect taxes. But in the end, Zacchaeus said, this is what I will do because he became a believer as well. So even into this, moving into the city, we see that this aspect of Jesus' ministry, to seek and to save the lost, was still taking place. And then what about the Pharisees? We all, you know, it, it just seems, I don't know how many of you are hockey fans, but how often do you go to a hockey game to watch the fights? You know, and then a game may break out somewhere along the line. We see all the videos on, on YouTube and every place else where everybody's, you know, some, there's something's going on and does anybody go in to help? 
No, they pull out their camera. Oh, I got to get this. I got to be the first to post it. So maybe there were some there because they realized there was the tension between the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the scribes and Jesus. Well, what's going to happen this week? I can't wait to see what's going on. Because from the very beginning of the time that Jesus started, as we had read, and it said, then some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. It, it just seems like these were the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they were the ones who should know. They should have been the ones who knew what was happening, the, the, the significance of this event, what was going on, but they were so worried about who they were. They were so worried about their reputation. They were so worried that Jesus had bigger crowds than I do. Because the Pharisees and the religious leaders were more worried about the outward signs than what was happening spiritually. There's a document that's called the Mishnah. It's a book of rules. In the Old Testament, we find 613 laws of Moses. And the Mishnah, Mishnah, the attempt of the Mishnah was that it would explain those 613 laws. But it wouldn't be on that. For example, the law to keep the Sabbath holy. No work Saturday. I mean, how many people would like to have that? No work on Saturday. But that's what the Jewish culture, no work on Saturday because that was a day of rest for them. But the Mishnah has 39 categories of work plus the subcategories of work. It details or it goes down to the very point of saying how many steps you can take on the Sabbath day. How many letters, I'm talking A, B, C, D, E, how many letters you can write on a Sabbath day. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders were all wrapped up in that because they're saying, look at me, look at me, how I'm abstaining the law, how I'm, and they're missing the whole point. Because that was their identity. But as we read into the, the week, and Jesus has his encounter in the temp on the temple grounds with the Jews. He finally comes to this conclusion. We find in Matthew 23, it says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. Remember? Whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with the dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus came into the city. He entered into the city. But Jesus knew what they were looking for. He knew that though they were praising and worshiping and, and shouting the hallelujahs and the hosannas and, and giving him all these accolades and tributes, he stopped on the way in and he wept. Would even you had known the day, the things that, are, that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. The people were looking for a king to set up on a throne. A king who would get rid of the oppression of the Romans. A king who would set them free as a people. And he didn't, didn't produce. These people, Hosanna to the highest, Hosanna to the Son of God. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of, day, name of the Lord. It's these same people that just a few days later will stand out yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Yes, Jesus did enter the city of Jerusalem. But now let's move forward. Let's come to today. When Jesus entered into your lives, what were you looking for? 
What was happening in your life when Jesus made such an impact on your life that you knew he was the better option? For me, I was seeking a date. See, I met this young lady during the summer of 71, and we talked and everything, but how can I put this? Being a teenager, um, let's see, I, I think I was classified as a, um, I hope I can say this, a jerk. Yeah, that's what they, yeah, that's what it was. And anyway, this young lady went to church with my sister, and my sister comes home, and this was about Thanksgiving time now, and says, oh, she's in the hospital. Oh, okay, well, let's see. Well, she's a, she's a beaut. I'm telling you, she's really beautiful. Um, okay, well, I'm going to walk to the hospital, which is, I live in Round Lake, hospital's in Waukegan, there's about 20-some-odd miles. So I'm going to hitchhike. So I start out hitchhiking. Back in those days, you could do that. <laughs> Didn't have many fears. Nothing. I walked for about four or five miles. Nothing. Come up to the sign. There's a crossroad coming up. Hunt Club Road. Okay, when I get to Hunt Club Road, I'm turning around and going back home because I'm never going to make it, get to the hospital on time. So I'm about 200 feet from the Hunt Club Road and this green Chevy Vega. Now, those of you who know what a Vega is, you know, they're old enough to know what those are. Green Chevy Vega pulls over. He says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to St. Therese Hospital in Waukegan. I'm going there too. Really? So we get, you know, we get to the hospital and everything else like that, and this young lady's parents are in the room, and they see me walk in, and they walked out. I don't know if there's any significance of that. But anyway, I go out to her, and she's smiling. She gives me a kiss, and I go, oh, there's going to be some opportunity here. <laughs> And what was really interesting is the guy that gave me the ride, his girlfriend was right in the bed next to her. So he said, listen, I'll take you home. I'll pick you up tomorrow. We'll come back tomorrow night. Great. Come back. Hey, want to go out for a date? If you go to church. You mean you won't go out for a date? If you go to church, I'll go out on a date with you. Okay, one hour of church. For three, spending three, about three hours, two and a half, three hours with this young lady. One hour church, three and a half. Possible more dates, and maybe not having to go to church. Uh, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Well, I went to church, got the date, and went back to church. I went back to church. Till finally, I was convicted enough and realized that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and I needed to accept him and I did. And so now in June it will be 48 years that we have spent together, this young lady and I. So, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but what about you? Did you grow up in a Christian home and have that opportunity to where at, at a certain time you realized by looking at what was going on in your family and maybe what your family talked about, maybe that's what brought you to Jesus Christ? Maybe it was a relationship with somebody. You had a friend who was a believer and they had something different in their life that you saw and you wanted and you needed and, and you said, what is the difference? And they shared with you. Perhaps you were living, your life was in such a turmoil that you just were facing one disappointment after another. And then somebody came along and told you about Jesus Christ, the one who does not disappoint. Could it be that you reached the end of your rope and you had no place else to turn and so you decided that I'll give this Jesus Christ the opportunity to see what he could do Whatever your circumstances, you opened your heart and invited Jesus Christ into your life, and he entered into that life and praised the Lord for it. But once we've accepted Christ, we have to make the determination when he enters in, who is he going to be to us? 
Is he going to be just the Savior? The Savior who keeps me from going to hell and gives me the opportunity to go to heaven when I die? Or will he be the Savior and Lord that he claims to be? Will we allow him to come into our lives and and change it and develop it and allow us to grow and learn about him? Jesus said in John 12, 24 through 27, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, we must follow, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This basically is a verse of commitment. Jesus is saying, if you commit to me, and it's our choice, he's not forcing us to commit ourselves to him. But we have to make a willful choice that I am going to follow you. I am going to seek you. I am going to search for you. I am going to come to that point where I can see where you're working and I can join you there. That's what he is. So when he entered your life, what what is he? Is he just a savior or is he a savior and the Lord? Is he the one that you're going to give full control of your life? Many years ago, I read a little book, a little booklet by Robert Boyd Munger. It's called My, Christ, My, Home, My Heart, Christ's Home. If you haven't read it or picked it up, it's just a little pamphlet. It doesn't take long to read it all. But he, is, he starts off with salvation. I've invited Christ in my life, and now I'm allowing him, moving through my home of my heart and taking him to these different areas. And then finally, there's one more. And this is what it says. There was a small closet up there in the hall landing, just a few square square feet. In that closet behind lock and key, I had one of two little personal things that I did not want anybody to know about. Certainly, I did not want Christ to see them. I knew they were dead and rotting things left over from the old life. I wanted them so for myself that I was afraid to admit they were there. Reluctantly, I went with him. And as we mounted the stairs, the odor became stronger and stronger. He pointed to the door. I was angry. That's the only way I could put it. I had given him access to the library, the dining room, the living room, the workroom, the rec room, and now he's asking me about a little two-by-four closet. How many of us have those little closets tucked away in our lives? Jesus, you can have everything else but that little two-by-four space. Jesus, I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to go with you. But here's this little area in my life that, you know, I just can't, you know, it's a habit I can't break. It's something I'm doing. It's something about me that I just just struggle with. And, and you know, it's mine. Jesus wants our whole life. Am I there yet? Oh, no. No, 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 no. Not even close. But when Jesus enters our life, he wants all of us. He doesn't want us to compartmentalize. He doesn't want us to come on Sunday morning and then on Monday stick him on the shelf and let, him, let it be till the next Sunday where we can pull him back down and come back to church and everything's fine. He wants, a, he wants more. He wants us to be so in tune with him that we can see where he is working and we are able to join him there. That's what he wants. Jesus entered a city to a people who wanted to put him on a throne. We've allowed Jesus to enter into our life so that we will have salvation. We will have victory in the end. We will be in heaven and eternity with Jesus Christ. But he's entered in our life to be Lord as well. And this brings us to the third one. And Jesus desires to enter the lives of those who don't know him. 
There are those that perhaps even someone here today that have never accepted Jesus Christ. They denied him entry into their lives. And to be honest with you, evangelism is not easy. You know that as well as I do. It's very hard to strike up conversations, and it's even harder today. But yet, we're asked to do it. And we find that, as we were, if we sat and listened to all the different testimonies, we'd find that people come to the Lord in a multiple different ways. I mean, there's, there's the four spiritual laws, there's the bridge, um, there's the Roman road, there's friendship evangelism, I mean, there's TV evangelists, I mean, there's all different ways people come to know Jesus Christ. But what it boils down to is simply asking someone, if you die tonight, will you go to heaven? Because even in a friendship relationship, unless we get to the point to where we can share Jesus Christ, where we're bold enough to speak up, you know, I, 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 you're my friend and I appreciate you and I'm glad I spend time with you, but if you were to die tonight, will you go to heaven? In some cases, that's when the dance begins. I call it the dance. Because so many times when I shared the gospel, when I was in the ministry, when I was pastoring and, and in the Navy, working with Campus Crusade and, and all that, I, you'd always get the dance. If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? Well, I don't believe in God. Really? Why not? Well, I just don't believe he's true. Mm-hmm. You'll have to prove that God exists. No, I don't have to prove it because I believe it. Uh, there's been too much evidence in my life. I said, do you, do you realize that Jesus loves you? I mean, John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order for the world that he might be saved through him. Well, I don't believe the Bible. Well, why is that? Contradictions. Oh, really? Can you point one out to me? No. I said, well, is it possibly somebody just told you that and you're just repeating it? Could be. But what are you going to do with this fact that Jesus Christ came to earth and he loved you so much that he died for you to forgive you of your sins? Well, if God loved the world so much in this world, why is there so much evil? It's called sin. Well, I don't sin. I've never murdered anybody. Well, I heard that more than one time. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you stolen anything? You know, some, a paper clip on somebody else's desk and you just went up there and took it because you needed a paper clip. How about an ink pen? You ever take an ink pen that wasn't yours? Crickets. Okay, well, how about this? Have you ever told a lie? Now, keep in mind that the Bible says that if you say you didn't, you've never lied, you lied. Well, I may have. You know, that fish that starts out this big and grows to this big? You know, a little white lie, whether it's smaller or whopper. Okay, and I said, what, what about, what about, have you ever busted after anybody? looked at somebody's possessions, looked at another human being and lusted after them? Well, uh, everybody's done that. Are you one of the everybody? Well, let me tell you, you just broke three of the Ten Commandments. So guess who sinned? And the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for, for all have sinned. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But let me tell you something, there's hope. It goes on to say that, but God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And see, you can experience that. Because you see, it, says, it goes on to say in Romans 5, 1 through 3, therefore, since you have been justified, made right with God by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's this gap. And it's because of sin. You have God who is holy and righteous and man who is sinful. And somehow that gap has to be, be bridged because everything man does to try to be good enough to reach the God, he can't do it. And
And that's why God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross so he would bridge that gap and give us a way to Christ. And it says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Jesus Christ bridged that gap. And now we have access by faith through grace. So let me ask you, Jesus Christ is right now standing at your door. Romans 3, or Revelations 3, 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. What are you going to do? If you've never accepted Christ, will you open the door and invite him in? When you're talking with a friend or somebody that you're sharing the gospel with, are you going to give them that invitation? To, oh, you have the ability to open the door and ask them. Give them that opportunity. And perhaps, perhaps, Jesus will open that door and Jesus will enter. You see, he entered a city where he knew the people wanted something more than what he was, something he wasn't about ready to give them because he was there for a totally different reason. He entered into our lives because we saw a need, we saw something that we needed that we could not provide. And now to the non-believer, here is this offer. What will you do with it? Will you open the door and allow him to enter? I'm going to close this morning and tell you about J.C. Harville. An older gentleman that I happened to meet while ministering in Mississippi, his wife Katie attended our church, and her claim to fame was every time she had a birthday, she would go out and do a cartwheel. I mean, she was 60, 70 years old, and she's still doing cartwheels. Her husband, J.C., had to go into the hospital for quadruple bypass. I mean, he's, you know, three breaths away from a widowmaker. I go walking into the hospital, and he looks there laying on the bed, and he looks over at me. And he says, you must be the little preacher. They call me the little preacher, I guess, because of my height. I don't know. I guess, you know. He goes, I'm the black sheep of the family. And I looked at him and I said, so you're really bad. <laughs> he started laughing. And him and I got to talking and we spent time talking and everything like that. And when he was getting ready to go into surgery, I prayed over him. Everything would go well. Surgery, I forget how long the surgery was. It was hours. Finally came out, came back to his room. He's laying there in bed in his garagey state and he opens his eyes. You're still here? Yeah, I want to make sure you came out alive because I want to make sure I get an opportunity to talk to you some more. Well, I left the hospital and went home, and over the course of time, we got to talk a little bit more. One evening, I went to his house, and we got to talking. Now, what is it about this Jesus guy? I mean, he's been around it because of his wife and his relatives were all believers. What is it about this Jesus guy? So I began to talk to him about Jesus. I talked to him about the death, his death and burial and resurrection and sinful life and our sinful life and how we're separated from God. Tears began to well up in his eyes. And all of a sudden, he turned in his chair, dropped to his knees. My mouth went, and he asked Jesus Christ into his life to forgive him of his sin. I didn't even get to the ask yet. (laughs) 
I had the privilege of baptizing him. And then shortly after that, he left the church. But he remained faithful until his death. Jesus wants to enter our lives. Jesus wants to take part of it because he wishes that none should perish, but all have everlasting life. As believers, it's our commitment to share that gospel with people. And for those of you who don't know him, if you're sitting in this audience today, the offer is here. Are you going to allow him to enter? It's your decision. J.C. took that offer, and I didn't even have to ask the question. What are you going to do? Let's pray. Father, We come to you this morning, and boy, we think of that historical day. That day when you entered that city. A city where the people praised you, and the religious leaders rejected you. Father, we know how the story ends. It comes to a point where those same people denounced you. But Father, this morning as we have gathered in this room today, I just pray that your spirit will move amongst us, that you, you, your entry into our lives will be so much more and that we will seek to make you Lord of every area. I thank you, Father. Thank you for the privilege to share your word. I thank you for the opportunity that you are giving me to be able to share your gospel with somebody possibly in this room that doesn't know you. And I pray that you would, you would touch their hearts. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us because we didn't have to do anything. And so for that, we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. And may we, your people, rejoice knowing that you are not only Savior, but Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Shannon, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. I trust that the Lord has spoken to you through His Word, and if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to trust Him today. If you have questions about what that means, reach out to us through our website, RedeemerRC.com, and one of our pastors will be in touch. In addition, if you would like to partner with Redeemer in her mission to share, shape, and send, you can support our ministry by visiting RedeemerRC.com forward slash give. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your active participation in the life of a local church. But tune in next week as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus through every paragraph, passage, and page of the Bible.